I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time to drive to work. Okay, so today I'm going to do other than my uh, increasingly uh, poorly named series, 20 Years and 20 Podcasts. I think I'm up to like 22, 23. Anyway, um, so what I've been doing is I've been taking every year that magic has existed and uh, in the series and talking about what happened that year. So I'm up to 2013. Um, so I'm, I'm approaching the present. We're, we're getting pretty close. Um, okay, so let's talk about what happened in the lovely year 2013. The lovely year 2013. Okay, January 26th uh, was the pre-release and February 1st was the release for Gate Crash, a.k.a. Line. I think it was Hook, Line, and Sinker. Uh, so it had 249 cards, like most large sets of its time, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 53 rares, and 15 mythic rares. Um, oh, so this was uh, this came out in the winter, but it was a large set. In fact, it was the first time ever that the winter set, or the, the, the quarter one set, was a large set. And the reason was, we had returned to Ravnica. And we came up with this neat idea of having five guilds in the first set, which was returned to Ravnica, five guilds in the second set, which was Gate Crash, and then all ten guilds in the third set, which is Dragon's Maze. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but anyway, this was a large set with the other five guilds. Um, so this set had Boros, uh, which was uh, red-white. It had Gruul, which is red-green. It had uh, the Simic, which is green-blue. It had the Demir, which is blue-black. And it had uh, the Orzhov, which is white-black. Um, so this, uh, there's, the design for this set was led, it was co-led. Uh, I led the first half, and Mark Gottlieb led the second half. Uh, what had happened was... I had done, um, I had done, uh, the previous year, Indestride, then did Dark Ascension. Uh, Ken Nagel had led the first set, which was Return to Ravnica, and in order for me to lead the next set, which is Theros, which we'll get to also later today, um, I needed to duck out halfway through. Meanwhile, Mark uh, Gottlieb had led small sets, but had never led a large set, and so as a, as a way to sort of, you know, uh, get into the pool without throwing me in the deep end right away... Uh, he and I worked together, and then I sort of led the first set, halfway through handed the reins to Mark, who led it in the second set, uh, second half of the set. Um, anyway, there were five mechanics, because there were five guilds. So uh, Boros had Battalion, which was a mechanic that said if um, three or more creatures attacked, uh, a bonus happened. So things that said, oh, if, I had to, if three or more creatures attack, something happens. And so it encouraged you to attack with a bunch of creatures, which fit Boros, which has an army sort of flavor. Um, the Gruul had Blood Rush, which were creatures that you could sacrifice, you could discard from your hand to turn them into giant growths that matched the power toughness of what the creature was. Um, there was Evolve, which is a, the Simic mechanic, and those were creatures that if you played a creature with a power or toughness greater than their power or toughness, they got a plus one, plus one counter. So you would play them, and as you played other creatures, they would, they would continue to grow. Um... Oh, by the way, Battalion was a mechanic made by Sean um, Main for the Second Great Designer Search, and Evolve was a mechanic made by Ethan Fleischer for the Second Great Designer Search. So each one of them, um, I definitely, when we were doing, doing the search, I realized we had interesting guild mechanics, and it turns out that two of them were in the guilds I was doing. So I, I used them. Cypher is the Demir mechanic. What Cypher does is they are spells that you then get to... Um, essentially linked to creatures. So what they do is the spell goes off, and then if you, you, you would sort of uh, link it to a creature, and then whenever that creature does combat damage, the spell effect happens again. Um, 
This was one of those mechanics that was very cool in concept, but in execution didn't play out quite as well. I think development was a little afraid of it and sort of had to pull back, so it's one of those mechanics that I didn't think didn't quite as sell as much as it did in concept. Uh, finally, Orzov's mechanic was extort. And extort said, um, whenever you played a spell, you could spend uh, a white or black mana, it was hybrid, um, to drain your opponent for one. So for each extort spell you had in play, so if I, once I have a couple extort things in play, every spell I'm playing, I can be drain, assuming I have the mana, I can be draining my opponent for a bunch of, bunch of life. Um, so this set was, like I said, the second set in the block. Um, it was designed to be drafted by itself. So we had a neat, the, the block structure was pretty cool. Let me talk about that for a second. So the first set, Return to Ravnica, had five guilds in it. It was a large set. You drafted it by itself, like you normally do with a, a fall set. The second set, Gate Clash, was also a large set, and it was drafted by itself. And then when the third set came out, which is a small set, Dragon's Maze, uh, you drafted uh, one Return to Ravnica, one Gate Crash, one Dragon's Maze. In fact, I think Dragon's Maze went first. So Dragon's Maze, Gate Crash, Return to Ravnica. Uh, so the neat thing was, in this, you drafted with just Return to Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, Return to Ravnica. Then you drafted Gate Crash, Gate Crash, Gate Crash. And then only when the third set came out did you cross the lines. Like, Return to Ravnica and Gate Crash never mingled until the third set. But in design, we worked really hard to make sure that they worked well together. And so when you finally got to crisscross them, you had some neat interactions. Um, there were some... Uh, in the end, I think Gate Crash ended up being a little faster than we meant to be. Uh, and so when you mix Gate Crash with Return to Ravnica, you tended to veer toward the Gate Crash guilds because they were a little bit faster. Um, but, but anyway, I'll, I'll talk about that when I get, get, I get to Dragon's Maze. Um... But anyway, Gate Crush into itself is very popular. Um, in fact, I think the best-selling winter set of all time. A little cheaty because it's also the only large set winter set of all time. But it was, in fact, very popular. It was very popular. Okay, next. February 16th to the 17th, Pro Tour Gate Crash was held in Montreal, Canada. Uh, it was a standard tournament for the constructed portion, and it was a Gate, Cra- Gate Crash booster draft for the limited portion. Sorry for a second. Somebody cutting in my lane. Yeah, people always, I find it funny that there's this the conspiracy theory that I sit in, like, I have a special, like, lab. I sit in, like, a little sound booth, and I have little sound effects to sound like I'm driving. Um, but as a person, as the fact that I'm actually driving and cars are getting in my way, and I have to, I have to occasionally pause from talking to you to make sure that I'm being safe, which I do. Um, I am, in fact, driving in a car on the freeway as we speak. Anyway, Pro Tour Gate Crash. So Tom Martell, United States, defeated uh, Yo Larsen of Sweden, uh, who they called the Swedish Brian Kipler. Um, uh, anyway, uh, the, the one other interesting little historic factoid from this tournament was Melissa de Toro became the first uh, female to ever top eight a pro tour, which is very exciting. Um, and for those that uh, have, I've had Melissa on my podcast twice, and I'm hoping to have her on uh, again. So uh, it was her, her, the two podcasts were, were quite popular. Okay, next, March 15th, was Dual Decks, Soren versus Tybalt. So every year, um, there is a Planeswalker Dual Deck with two Planeswalkers fighting each other, and a non-Planeswalker, which is themed usually to one of the sets it comes out with. Um, so this was the Planeswalker one, it was Soren versus Tybalt. So... Um, the way it works is you have to go back a year. So if you go back a year to Innistrad, we always take two Planeswalkers from that set. So from Innistrad, we took Soren and Tybalt, uh, both of which, by the way, are natives of, of um, Innistrad. So this was uh, an Innistrad native uh, fight. Um, 
So Soren, I assume, was white black, and Tybalt was at least red. I don't know if it was a, a second color in the deck. Um, but anyway, dual decks. Okay, next, that gets us to April 3rd, pre-release. April 27th, sorry. April 27th, pre-release. May 3rd, release of Dragon's Maze, uh, a.k.a. Sinker. So it was a little bit bigger. It was a small set, but it was a little bit bigger than a normal small set. had 156 cards, 70 commons, 40 uncommons, 35 rares, and 11 mythic rares. Um, we've recently made small sets a little bit bigger with Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, this is... Uh, this is us playing in that space earlier on. Um, so we now, I think we now have 70 commons in a small set, and this has 70 commons, so this is definitely um, some of a template when we're looking for what to do with Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, anyway, uh, the lead designer for uh, Oath of the Gatewatch was Alexis Jensen, the winner of the first great designer search. Uh, and the, uh, the lead developer was Zach Hill, who... Um, uh, is no longer with R&D, he's moved on to other things. Um, so the set, the, basically the idea of the set was it had all 10 guilds in it. So mostly what it was, it was there was just the 10 guild mechanics. We had five guild mechanics in the first set, five guild mechanics in the second set. All 10 were in this set. Although I think we kept them out of common to keep from overwhelming people with, with keywords. I think they started showing up in uncommon. I don't think they showed up in common. Um, uh, there was one new introduction, though, was... Um, uh, Ravnica has always had hybrid, and the original Ravnica had split cards. When we brought split cards back, we had saved them for here. We thought it was a good place when you're doing all ten to have some split cards. Uh, and we introduced a mechanic on split cards called Fuse. So what Fuse does is it says you can play not just one of the two split cards, but if you want to, you can play both of the split cards. Uh, it was called, uh, what do we call it, uh, Split and Twine, I think is what we call it in, in design. Uh, it was a combination of split cards within Twine. And Twine was a mechanic from the original Mirrodin where you had a modal choice and you could get all the choices if you paid the modal costs. Um, and that was, that was uh, in Twine. So anyway, um, Fuse was quite popular. Uh, this had had some problems. Um, number one, I think we had set ourselves up. Um, doing, five, doing five guilds in a large set is doable. We did that twice. Doing 10 guilds in a small set, even if you've already set it up with two previous large sets, is a lot. There's just a lot going on. There's a lot you have to handle. And it was a little bit overwhelming. Uh, we would never normally put, in fact, if you count Fuse, 11 mechanics in a small set. Given 10 of them we had introduced to you previously, but still, it was a lot of mechanics to all be in a single set. Um, and there just was so much going on. It was just... And, the, also, the draft environment proved to be a lot more complicated than we realized. Because um, part of it was, uh, what we did is, um, when you came to the pre-release for Dragon's Maze, you got a box that had um, one, you got, to choose, you got to choose one of the ten, um, one of the ten guilds. And then, also, you got, which was a secret second guild, and the way it worked was, it was one of the guilds from the other set, so if you picked a guild from Return of Ravnica, it was from Gatecrash. If you picked a uh, guild from Gatecrash, it was from Return of Ravnica. It was a guild that shared a color with the one you chose. So, for example, let's say I chose... Um, what's a good example? I chose Is It. So, blue-red. So, blue-red is from Return of Ravnica. That meant I would get one of the guilds that had red in it, which in uh, Gatecrash was either Boros or Gruul, or one of the guilds that had blue in it, which was either Simic or or um, Demir. 
I couldn't get Orzov. There was no overlap there. Um, and so the idea was you picked one and then got another and helped you for building in the, the pre-release. But the fact that we had to sort of do that uh, was a sign of how complicated it got. The one nice thing about the large sets were you only had five options and five two-color combinations. With ten and the drafting, wow, there's so many permutations of what you could do. It was a little bit overwhelming. Um, and the other thing was um, Gatecrush ended up being a little bit more aggressive than uh, than Return, Return to Ravnica, and so it, it, it warped a little bit the drafting. Um, it was a neat idea, and it was cool, and I liked the idea of Use a set, use a different set, use both sets. I liked the 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 the, the novelty and the, the, the coolness of how the draft has worked differently and that each draft was distinctively different. Um, the other mistake we made, which was interesting, was the name. Um, so Dragon's Maze refers to a particular dragon, Niv-Mizzet. Niv-Mizzet is the one that's setting this all up. He learned all about... Um, the maze, uh, what was it called? The, the maze Azor was the, the original creator of Azorius. He had created this maze, and uh, it was figured out by um, the Mizzet, and then there were ten maze runners, and anyway, for those that know the story. Um, but one of the things, and this set also, by the way, introduced Raul Zarek, who had been originally introduced in Duels, in Duels of the, the, one of the early Duels of the Planeswalkers, but this is the first time he showed up in a set with a card. Um, but anyway... Uh, Dragon's Maze was Dragon apostrophe S, a dragon, who, Niv-Mizzet. Um, but when you put the name Dragon in the set, there was, there was this belief, like, oh, it's a set about dragons. I see dragons in the name. Uh, and there was literally no creature hyphen dragon in the set. There was one card, I think, that made things into dragons. But, and, and the dragon, Niv-Mizzet, he wasn't, uh, Return to Ravnica. He, the dragon that, that's mentioned in the title, he, he's not in the set. So, there were some expectations set up that the set really didn't deliver on. Um, and one of the big things we realized is you have to be very careful about perception, what people expect, because you want to set up expectations correctly and then deliver on them. And Dragon Maze didn't do that. Um, uh, it is one of the things that got us to do Dragons of Tarkir, of saying, wow, people were so sad that there weren't dragons. We really shouldn't make a dragon set. And so that's one thing that definitely led to us later doing Dragons of Tarkir. Okay. May 17th through the 19th was Pro Tour Dragon's Maze in San Diego, uh, United States. Um, it was a block-instructed tournament, meaning you got to play with all three sets from the, from the Ravnica block. So you got to play with Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash and Dragon's Maze. And it had Dragon's Maze booster draft, which meant you drafted with all three sets. So it was a very Return to Ravnica block-oriented Pro Tour. So Craig Wesker, United States, ended up defeating Dusty Ochoa, also the United States. Okay, then uh, later that summer, um, let's see, oh, actually, before we get to that, um, July 13th was the pre-release, and July 19th was the release of Magic 2014, the core set for the year. So remember, the core set is always named uh, a year later. So I think I've explained this, but one more time for people that don't know, the reason is we put these into mass, and mass won't hold things that have a year that, like... If it says 2013 on it, once it's 2014, they won't carry things to say 2013, that it looks dated. Um, and so in order to create a set that would be around for a whole year, because the goal of the core set is to put it out and keep it on shelves because it's a beginning of product, um, we needed to have a name in which the mass market would keep it. Uh, and so we would use the name. Uh, we, we, were, we were modeling after how cars work. Like when you buy a car, the, the, the model of the car is always the next year. Um, Anyway, the set was a normal large set, 249 cards, so 101, 80, 
53, 15. So 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 53 rares, 15 mythic rares. Um, the set was led designed by Mark Globus. Uh, so Mark Globus came in um, uh, fourth or fifth uh, for the first great designer search. Um, we actually hired three, uh, four people from the first great designer search and then would later hire a fifth person, although that fifth person was not just in the first great designer search, but was in the second great designer search as well, Scott Van Essen. Um, but anyway, Alexis Jansen, who we just talked about leading um, Dragon's Maze, uh, Ken Nagel, who I talked about, uh, I mentioned him already in this podcast, and a guy named Grant Hopkins, who uh, does digital stuff, does a lot of programming, but we borrow him from time to time. He's a really good designer, obviously. Uh, and then Mark Lobis. Mark Lobis originally got hired to do digital, and then he became um, friendly with a lot of R&D people and ended up coming over to R&D. And now he's one of the, the producers in R&D. He oversees, oversees a lot of the, the structuring of how things happen. And um, he and I actually work closely together. Anyway, I think this was the first time he led a set. Um, so for those uh, who pay attention, um, there now have been five different um, uh, finalists from the Great Designer Search to lead a magic set. Alexis Jansen this year read, uh, led Dragon Maze. Ken Nagel has led a whole bunch of sets. Um, most recently, I think he led Fate Reforged. Um, uh, Mark Globus led this, Magic 2014. Uh, Ethan Fleischer led uh, Journey to Nyx. Uh, he's going to lead... Oh, oh, he led Oath of Gatewatch, which you guys will see shortly. Uh, and then Sean Main uh, just recently led Magic Origins, as well as Conspiracy. Um, so anyway, there's five uh, alumni, all who've led sets. Or not alumni, but, you know... Uh, people who we first discovered through the Great Designer Search. So, in fact, it has been a great designer search. That name has lived up to its, its uh, thing. Uh, so, the one thing about uh, Magic 2014, its slogan was Ignite Your Spark. Uh, Chandra was the main focal point. If you played uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers, uh, you were following Chandra's story. Um, the new thing in the set was Slivers came back. Uh, so, that was a little bit controversial. Um, so, we did two things. One is... We, over the years, have changed how we've done tribal effects mechanically so the tribal effects only affect your things. Originally, Goblin King made all goblins plus one, plus one. And so if your opponent had goblins, it helped them too. And eventually we decided that, A, people didn't necessarily believe that their stuff was supposed to help their opponent, and it just didn't make for necessarily great gameplay. If I have to, like, oh, I have a Goblin King. Oh, wait, how many goblins do you have to play versus how many I have to play? Um, and so we changed it. Slivers hadn't yet been changed because the last time we did Slivers was Time Spiral, and we felt like... You know, it was a set all nostalgia. We didn't want to change how slivers worked in a set in which we were being all nostalgic. So we, this is the next time we introduced them. So mechanically, we changed them. And then the art team wanted to give them a, a different look. Uh, the look they currently had, it, it just was a hard look to make a lot of differences to it. So they were trying to change it up a little bit. Uh, it did not go over well, um, especially, I think, how they looked went, went pretty poorly. But a combination of we mechanically changed them and we made them look differently. Uh, the audience who loves slivers was, was upset by it. Um, I, I believe that we have... Um, we're going to stick with the mechanical change. This is how we do tribal stuff now. Um, but I do believe that we are willing to... We, we're In re-examining it, uh, we've sort of opened up and said, you know, there's different slivers in different places. They look a little differently. But we're not abandoning the old sliver look. So you, I think you will see... As, as slivers... Sliver, I doubt we've seen the last of slivers. And I think you will see old sliver-style slivers, uh, I mean, visually, uh, again. Um, oh, by the way, the lead developer... I talked about the lead designer. The lead designer is Mark Globus. The lead developer was a man named Dave Guskin. So Dave actually started in online media um, and... Or not online media, in programming. He was one of the programmers. Uh, and he ended up coming into R&D and he spent a lot of time doing what we call um, experience design, 
Uh, if you know like a lot of the stuff at Theros and um, uh, the Hell Vault and all, all that sort of stuff that was wrapped around how we, do, we used to do pre-releases, um, that was Dave Guskin's doing. So, um, anyway, uh, what, other, what else happened here? Uh, we also changed the legend rule with this set, um, and we changed indestructible became a keyword. Uh, we also changed unblockable to cannot be blocked. We actually tried to make unblockable a keyword. Uh, but the problem was we use it in so many different ways that it just didn't work. That so much that you're unblockable due to a certain thing. Anyway, we tried to we tried to make unblockable keyword for technical reasons. We couldn't do it. We did manage to make indestructible keyword. Uh, before, it was just an English word that had a normal meaning. Uh, but the fact that it wasn't a keyword was confusing people. And people were treating it as it was a keyword. So we finally just changed it to a keyword. Uh, the legend rule changed to say before... Uh, whenever a legend came into play, if the other legend was in play, we would destroy it. Um, that now it said when it came into play, um, A, each player was allowed to have one. So I could have a, a legendary character, you could have the same legendary character. And if I brought one into play, I then chose which one went away under the new rules. Uh, which allowed you to do interesting things with um, certain planeswalker abilities and such. Okay, next, August 23rd was From the Vault 20. So uh, this was 2013, which happened to be the 20th anniversary of Magic the Gathering. Um, I'll be honest, we really underplayed the 20th anniversary. I was kind of sad. I, I, I love celebrating. I, I thought it was awesome that Magic was 20 years old. Um, the feeling at the time, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's some that believe that, like... It, it dated the product or something? I, I don't know. There, there, there were some people that believed that... So we did very, very little to sort of celebrate the 20th anniversary. Uh, in products, we did one thing to celebrate it, which is this product, uh, Dual Decks... Not Dual Decks, From the Vault 20. So instead, normally From the Vaults have 15 cards in them. This one has 20 cards in it, including a uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and these are all in foil. So um, it was definitely... Uh, it was a very sought-after product. Uh, normal From the Vault, there's not a lot made... Um, but this one in particular was uh, extra hard to get your hands on. Uh, a combination of just the anniversary and there's 20 cars and Jason and such. Okay, next, September 6th, was Dual Decks Heroes versus Monsters. So the second Dual Deck is usually tied to one of the set releases. We had Theros, we were going to Greek mythology. Uh, and Magic luckily has a lot of Greek mythology in it. And so we were able to sort of craft a... a Greek feeling of heroes versus monsters because one of the things about Theros I'll get to in a second is uh, a big role of it was heroes and monsters um, and so we definitely had a dual deck that sort of played it up and uh, we were able to uh, do some teases of some upcoming cards from Theros you got some some preview cards uh, and then luckily there was enough stuff in Magic that was Greek mytholo- mythologically feeling because um, a lot of early Magic owes, owes stuff to Greek mythology uh, I think Tolkien and Greek mythology are the two biggest influences on Richard in making Alpha, for example. Okay, um, September 21st was a release, and September 27th was... Sorry, September 21st was the pre-release. September 27th was the release of Theros, uh, a.k.a. Friends. Friends, Romans, Countrymen. Uh, which is funny that we had a set with Romans in the name, and it was about not Roman mythology, but Greek mythology, and... Uh, people always get weirded out when the code names are somewhat close to the theme, and the code names get picked before the theme, so it's always happenstance when they, they're even remotely connected. Anyway, there's a normal large set, 249 cards, 101 commons, 80 uncommons, 53 rares, and 15 mythic rares. Uh, I led the design. Eric Lauer led the development. 
Um, so the, the theme I talked about when the set originally came out was obviously it was a Greek mythology set. Um, I said it was uh, gods, heroes, and monsters were sort of the, the major themes. Um, so the set had a strong enchantment component. Well, let, let's walk. Okay. So gods. In order to reflect the gods, we decided to make have an enchantment component that we were going to bring. And we made the enchantment component the effect of gods on the world. So, for example... Um, there were a lot of enchantment creatures. We, we, in magic, other than one enchantment creature in Future Sight is a hint of something we might do, we had never done enchantment creatures before. They showed up for the first time here. Uh, we had a mechanic called Bestow, which showed up in the first set in Theros, which were creature, enchantment creatures that could also double as auras. And so you could choose whether to play them as a creature aura or play them as a creature. If you play them as a creature aura and the creature they enchanted died, they would fall off and become creatures. Um... I think all the enchantment creatures in the first set were bestow creatures. Uh, later in the block would have enchantment creatures that weren't bestow creatures, but with the, uh, in the first set we did that. Um, we also had a lot of strong enchantment themes. There was a cycle of gods, the five gods, which were all mythic rares. Um, all, had, were, all were enchantment creatures. Uh, they had each had a magical item that was an enchantment artifact. First time we'd ever done that. Um, so there definitely was a strong enchantment theme that ran through. Um, and also the gods we had a mechanic called Devotion which was us taking a mechanic an old mechanic from Eventide calling, uh, called Chroma that didn't quite go over as well as I had hoped but I, I had high potential for I really thought it was a mechanic that was going to be this awesome mechanic that it just never quite hit the audience and I decided there was time, I, I decided that it needed a second chance I thought it made a lot of sense, sense here called devotion and the idea was the people cared about their gods and the gods cared about people caring about them and so the more devoted you were to your god um, the more powerful the cards would become and so basically the way it did is it counted the number of colored mana um, in your mana cost of cards on your battlefield slightly different than chroma chroma would chroma also counted um, colored mana symbols but it would look in different places not always on the battlefield and devotion was a little more locked it's like permanence on the battlefield that's what it looks at uh, ended up being a pretty strong mechanic, much stronger than Chroma, which also helped it. Uh, and there were a lot of monocolor decks being played in Standard at the time uh, and, and other formats because Devotion actually was pretty powerful. Um, okay, uh, that was Gods. Then there was Gods Heroes. So the Heroes had a mechanic called um, Heroic, which were creatures that whenever they were targeted uh, would generate an effect. Maybe they get a plus one, plus one counter. Maybe you draw a card. Maybe something else happens. Maybe... You know, they temporarily get some kind of boost or bonus. Uh, but the cool idea was that these heroic creatures, you wanted to combo and target them. And so it definitely... Um, and one of the ways to target them was definitely putting enchantments on them. So heroic creatures played nicely with Bestow. Um, but it definitely also... One of the things we were trying to do with the set is we wanted things to get bigger and grow. That big part of Greek mythology was you go on adventures and you start from a, a small farm boy, but then you become a hero. And so we wanted you to sort of... The heroic mechanic, you could watch things grow and become more powerful. Um, let's see. Uh, then, um, for monsters, we had a mechanic called Monstrous, which was an activated ability. You can only use once per game. When you used it, uh, the creature would get bigger. You get some number of plus one, plus one counters. And often, either it would trigger something or get an extra ability. Um, but you had these monsters that were scary, and then they notched up when you had enough mana to become extra scary. Um, and Monstrous... Um, well, when I, talk, when, I, when I get to 2014, I'll talk about it. Monsters was weird in that it was in the first set and the third set, but not the second set. Something we very rarely do. But I'll talk about that next, in 2014. The next podcast that I get when I get to 2014. Won't be the next podcast, but I'll get there eventually. Um, 
Anything else? Oh, the set also had scry, which actually was added in development uh, to help smooth things. But as Greek mythology is all about omens and things, scry actually um, th- uh, thematically made a lot of sense. Um, we would later make scry evergreen. That would happen in Magic Origins, which would, would happen um, two years later. But this was definitely us realizing how valuable scry was and one of the big things that made us go, you know what, maybe we should just always have scry. Okay, next. Um, Theris, by the way, uh, did very well. It has some problems in the expansions, which, once again, when I get expansions, uh, next, you know, 2014 podcast, I'll talk about that. But uh, Theris itself did really well. People liked Greek mythology quite a bit. Uh, it went over very well. The gods, especially the monocolor gods, went over quite well. Um, Devotion was uh, probably the biggest hit of the mechanics, but Monstrous was really well received. Heroic was very well received. Um, uh, Bestow. Bestow was a little less received only because it, it was a little less clear to people how it worked. Um, and we, we made it such that if, if you try to attach it like an aura and you got rid of the creature, that normally if it was an aura, it would just go to the graveyard. But because it has an option to become a creature, we let it stay in play because we were trying to make them just harder to hose. And that was a little unintuitive for some people, although most people, once they understood it, liked it only because it just made the card better. Um, but it was a little bit unintuitive. Okay, October 11th through the 13th, Pro Tour Theros in Dublin. Uh, it was standard for constructed part of it, and Theros Booster Draft for the um, limited part. Uh, Jeremy Dizani of France defeated Pierre Dagen of France. It was Fran- uh, all French finals. Um, oh, I forgot something! Speaking all French. Um... I talked about... Oh, I skipped over. Well, this is important. Uh, I, I talked all about the um, the uh, Magic 2014, and I skipped over an important thing that happened in July, which was the World Championship. I should get back and talk about this. So July, 30th, July 31st through August 2nd in um, Amsterdam was the World Championship. Uh, so a 16-person tournament. The World Championship now is an invitation tournament. At the time, there were 16. Uh, now we've moved to 24, but at the time, there were 16. And uh, Shahar Shenhar from uh, Israel defeated Reed Duke from the United States. And a very... Uh, Reed looked like he was going to take the whole thing. Uh, it was a matchup, really, in his favor. Uh, and it came down to the final game. Shenhar pulled it off uh, and managed to win. Uh, I, I don't want to give away the spoilers of 2014... But uh, he might go on to win twice in a row. So um, definitely, uh, no one's ever, no one's ever been in. Actually, until 2015, sorry, 2014, no one had never, no one had ever been in a finals of a, um, the finals of a world championship twice. Uh, that would happen two times next year. Well, anyway, sneaking ahead to 2014. Anyway, also that same weekend. Uh, although August 2nd to the 4th, so the first there was uh, three days of the World Championship, then three days, we had a day off and three days of the Magic World Cup, was the, was, um, the Magic World Cup. I'm sorry, the World Magic Cup, said it wrong. The World Magic Cup. Uh, and that's where a whole bunch of countries, 50-some countries, all came to compete. Uh, each country is a four-person team. And in the finals, France, read, uh, led by uh, 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 Raphael Levy, defeated Hungary. Um, and uh, it is definitely, uh, I don't think France had ever won the team event before. Um, they had been in contention. They'd been in the finals many times. I don't think they'd ever won before. So it was a, uh, a big feather in the cap for France, for Raphael. Um, uh, anyway, so it is definitely, I, that, that's why I, I want to talk about France on France. But wait a minute, France did well this year. So I'm sorry, I, I skipped over that. Um, 
one place where you jump around on the paper. Oh, also, I forgot that July 19th, technically, uh, was the Deck Builders Toolkit. Every core set has a new toolkit tied to it. And July 19th, we did that. Anyway, uh, back, back to November. Sorry, jumping around here. Okay, November 1st was Commander 2013. Um, I did not write down. So, uh, Commander is 500, 100-card decks. Uh, what was the gimmick of 2013? Um, I think this was the second time. I think we had done Commander decks. They were very popular. We couldn't get them out quick enough, so we did Commander's Arsenal, which I think was 2012. And I think 2013 was the second ones. So let's see if I can remember what that was. Um, I think the first ones um, did three color and did wedges, I believe. So the second one must have done shards. So my guess is this was a, the shard one. Um, I think Mark Gottlieb led the design for this. I did not write this down. But I believe Mark Gottlieb led the design for it and that it was shard-based. Um, I don't remember if there was some other gimmick tied to it. But I, I believe it was shard-based. Anyway, it's uh, something we do every year. There's a hundred... It's five hundred-card construct... Uh, not, pre-made decks. There's a hundred-card decks. They're commander decks, meaning they come with a legendary creature. Actually, they come with three legendary creatures. Uh, but one main one to be your your commander, and the other two can be backup commanders. Um, and then it's a 100-card hundred, uh, hundred deck in which there it's a singleton. It means every card only appears once. And each, each deck has a very specific theme to it. Uh, and the, the decks are made not just to play fun unto themselves, but to play with each other. Um, and the commander format has been very, very popular. People uh, like it quite a bit. Finally, the final act of the year, uh, November 15th, was the 2013 Holiday Gift Box. Uh, which came with, it had a nice box, and it had four boosters and 20 lands from Theros. Um, so the story of the gift box, I'm not sure if I've told the story. Odds are I have, I repeat stories. But I, uh, in case I haven't, um, we for years, I mean for years, for years, even when I first got here 20 years ago, we, we've always been trying to figure out the right kind of gift, gift box for, um, for December. So one of the things that people don't realize is December actually is a very slow month for us. Uh, and the reason is that it's the holiday season. People are spending money buying gifts for the holidays. And what we've discovered is that it's just a poor time for us and that um, when we put our sets, people get focused on our set. And so uh, it's actually better for us to, to basically be active when it's, there's not other things going on. And so December has proved to be one of the slowest months for us. But one of the things we always have wanted to do and have tried many times over the years is say, well, you know what the good thing is? What we want to do during December is have a product out that people who are friends and families of magic players could go, oh, that's a magic thing. I could buy that uh, and give it as gift. And we want the magic players to be happy that their friends bought them a magic-related gift. And for years, we try to figure out how to do that. The, the big secret, by the way, rested in not... Well, the contents were important, but the bigger secret was the name. Uh, I, I actually had one meeting where we were brainstorming the set, and I said, okay, I, I have one brainstorm. You, you want to sell the set? You want to get people to buy it for the holidays? Could we please call it the Magic the Gathering Holiday Gift Box? Uh, and we finally, finally used the name, which I think is a big part of just... One of the things about people who don't know magic is it's very daunting. There's lots of magic things. How do you know what to buy? But when you see Holiday Gift Box on it, you go, you know, maybe they like this for the holidays. And then what we learned was we made a nice gift box so the box itself that the, the players can use. And look, just put magic cards in it. That's what players want. We experimented with all sorts of different things. In the end, you know what magic players want? The latest magic cards is what they want. And so Theros is the set that was out. You know, just came out this fall. Um, and so how to gift box for 2013? 
just has Theros stuff in it. It has Theros boosters, Theros land, and a nice gift box that you could have. Um, and the gift box has proven to be quite popular. Um, I mean, for a gift box, it, it, it is... Uh, I guess your expectations have to match. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely something that we, we, we've continued to do. Um, anyway, uh, as I drive up to Wizards, that, my friends, is 2013. Um, it was an interesting year. Uh, uh, we definitely... Um, so I think what I, I, 2013 was the fifth year in a row that we had had the best year Magic had ever had. Uh, that five years earlier, Magic, you know, Magic had the best year it ever had, and then the year after that, again, it had the best year it ever had, and did that five years in a row. The trend continues, but we're only talking about 2013. Um, but anyway, 2013 was a good year. It was an up year. Uh, Return to Ravnica block was pretty popular. Theros, especially the first set, was very popular. A um, lot of fun Pro Tour play around the world. Um, a lot of supplemental products that people enjoyed. But anyway, that, my friends, was 2013 in a nutshell. But... I'm in my parking space. So we all know what that means. It means it's time to end my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.